Welcome to the Other Side Podcast with Jazz and Steph. I'm Jazz. I'm Steph. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to honor truth. We hope to create a space to learn from one another, from our experiences, and from the folks we talk to. We know that we have the ability to have really powerful conversations that are life-changing and paradigm-shifting and enhancing, and we want to use this podcast as a platform to share that. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. So I want to thank Steph and Mr. Josh Waltman for agreeing to have a safe and courageous space with me here today. And we're going to talk about how we foster conversations of race with our children. And with that in mind, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Thanks, Jasmine. My name is Josh Waltman, and I am a dad. I have a five-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. Uh, I am married. My wife, Olivia, is a, uh, she tutors kids with language uh, delays. I am a son of two teachers, two public school teachers. Uh, I am an attorney. I graduated from Arizona State in 2001 with an undergrad in poli-sci from Harvard Law School in 2004. I primarily practice employment law, which is advising employers on how to comply with discrimination, harassment laws, leave laws, training managers, uh, representing employers in administrative hearings and court cases. And For the past 15 years, I have been a trainer with the Anti-Defamation League, doing anti-bias, anti-bullying trainings, primarily going into high schools and training students, juniors and seniors, so they can go train their peers, the freshmen and sophomores, on how to identify, examine, and confront bias in their schools and their communities. with that said, I just wanted to say to Stephanie, it's really great to meet you today. You and too. I've been learning from listening to your podcast. And so we have a great safe space here to talk about raising kids. And I should say uh, that I am white and my kids, my wife is white and my kids are white and I'm raising them in this world. I'm happy to talk about um, how I'm trying to make them aware of uh, their whiteness and uh, other races. And a little bit about the kismet that led Josh here today. It's it's interesting. We hail from sort of the same parts of town. I don't believe I ever met him prior to working with him at the Anti-Defamation League. And um, we just really enjoy, not just, we do really enjoy co-facilitating with one another and um, holding safe spaces to have really great conversations uh, regarding what's going on in our lives. I know that he is a one of a, actually a great empowerer of mine. I feel like a very possible being after some of our conversations and um, to touch on my child's identity, my child is multi-ethnic, but um, to kind of deduce it a little bit, he identifies as black and white. And Stephanie, what about my your turn. kids? Uh, my, I'm white. My kids um, are half white. And then their father identifies as uh, Chicano or Latino. So my kids are half Latino and half white. Okay. And with all that, you know, a bit of a background, let's 
talk about um, race growing up, right? And how that impacts how we raise our children and talk to them about race. And when I say growing up, I'm not just talking about adolescence. I'm not talking about the teenage years. I am firmly in the belief that I'm still growing. And especially when I'm having conversations with Stephanie or Josh about these really important things or doing the work that Stephanie and Josh and I do, there's constant opportunities for me to really develop skills in having these conversations and raise, mm-hmm. hopefully, a great human being and a whole <laughs> human being. Um, Josh, why don't you start? So as it relates to race, you know, my parents being public school teachers was a big part of how I understood race. I grew up uh, on the west side of town uh, near Tolleson and uh, heavily Latino area. And my parents being public school teachers believe that every kid should have an equal opportunity to succeed. And I have to say growing up in the 80s, there was a fair bit of colorblindness in the sense of, oh, well, we don't need to look at somebody's race. And I think that that's a, a privilege that white people have to not look at race. Mm-hmm. I think I could go through life not really paying attention to race. You as a black woman weren't given that chance. And so I think while my parents instilled respect and kindness and um, certainly I played on soccer teams and went to school with um, a fairly diverse group of kids. I think it wasn't until later in life, college and law school, and then after that, and I started doing my work with the Anti-Defamation League, that I was more, I was more um, affirmative in my uh, involvement with recognizing race and how that impacts the people in my community. Mm-hmm. For me, and thank you for acknowledging, you know, that I might not necessarily have that same experience. Um, for me growing up, I feel like I had this rich introduction to my form of black Americanness. Um, my mom and my dad are from predominantly black areas. My dad is from Memphis, Tennessee. My mom's from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, which is a pretty, has some pretty tough areas there, but is predominantly black area. She was also raised in Cleveland and she came here with her parents in high school and it was a culture shock. She went to an all white school and I just, she's always had animosity and resentment and communicated that to me my whole life um, for, for that move and that experience. And always communicated to me that she wished that I was raised back there, that I had exposure to being in a a place where people were like me predominantly and people ran things that looked like me. Um, I also grew up in North Phoenix and the Paradise Valley Valley area. So I was often one, it was me. And then I remember the standard of beauty being not me, definitely, and having to do things that were really uncomfortable or unsafe to make sure that I was safe. And that could be like chemical treatments to my hair, um, having the talks of what not to do, watching people die constantly on TV and not be served justice. But there were also really beautiful parts of it, like music was such a, an amazing part of my life. My dad was a DJ, music videos were getting big. And I remember just seeing that, like 
blackness was really cool and unfortunately seeing people wearing it like costumes kind of made it like certified coolness um i grew up watching black television so we're talking martin um 227 what's happening bet like these are um mtv the color purple my mom always made sure i knew about civil rights i was always at um june juneteenth celebrations mlk marches I always did volunteering work where I was in predominantly uh, Latin, Latino or Chicano neighborhoods, serving communities and doing community service work with my mother. Then I moved to the West Side near Tolleson and I was in a predominantly uh, Chicano, Latino, uh, Mexican, Mexican-American neighborhood. And that is where I experienced the most racism mm-hmm. I have ever, ever experienced in my life. And like things like my dad said, you can't come in cause you're black. And that was interesting. That was the first time I'd ever been called the N word and it happened on a regular basis. And so having been introduced to all these ideas of civil rights constantly, I think it, it definitely felt very painful for me. And so in growing, I'm still accustomed to being like one of very few or sometimes even in my professional life, 300 people in a room and it's me. Mm-hmm. And um, what about you, Steph? <laughs> Thanks for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. Can I just rewind to sure. your dad was a DJ? Hey, Vicky, what to Wait, the what snake do doctor. The snake <laughs> doctor? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> That's something I also never knew about your family. I've learned two things today. I mean, he was he went he was in the Air Force at uh-huh. one point, and and he was a corrections officer. Wow. But he was also the snake doctor. Wait, the snake doctor was your dad's DJ name? <laughs> yes. Oh wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh-huh. you for that. Thanks for sharing, um, both of you. Mm-hmm. I think uh, my experience with race growing up was. There, there was no conversation about it. It was very much, you know, a colorblind kind of thing. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so it was predominantly Latino. Uh, my friends were mostly um, Latina, Latino. So, and the people that I grew up around, I never really saw, I never thought about race differences. Um, our lives looked the same as far as my little kid brain could tell as far as like we were living in the same neighborhood, doing the same things. And it was never a conversation at home. And I do remember things, um, you know, being said, like literally saying like, I'm colorblind. I don't see color or, um, you know, different stereotypes and stuff just being thrown around. And I don't think my introduction to privilege or my whiteness or race in general really happened until I moved to Arizona. And so then those conversations were had and um my experience completely changed and then I started rewinding and thinking about my childhood and all the things that you know went unsaid or unnoticed and picking apart my family and my upbringing and how that contributed to how I saw myself and the world around me but um it was just kind of a not a topic unfortunately growing up Mm. and so with understanding just a little bit a tiny bit of our experiences with race growing up Mm um i want to know what helping your children navigating their curiosity regarding uh race looks like for you um 
How about Josh? So the five-year-old is a little on the young side to be asking those questions. She's not quite asking those questions yet. The seven-year-old is firmly in the age of asking those questions. Um, of course, the school has certain lessons um, and what I do at and, and those will prompt some questions, but um, they're the usual, you know, Black History Month, you're reading about MLK. And mm -hmm. that's good, but that, that's, you know, just a barely a start. So I'll get books at home. Um, I happen to be a big fan of Maya Angelou. And so we read about her and she has that voice of God. So we <laughs> listen to her, you know, even singing songs at night. Sometimes instead we'll listen to a YouTube uh, video of Maya Angelou. Um, we'll get, um, I brought with me a little book. It's a board book. So the kids have kind of grown past this age, but there's a set of books called Little Feminists. And this one's on some activists and it has, you know, Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks. Um, it has Malala. It has Gloria Steinem. Um, what an adorable these... little book. I wish that they could see that right now. Yeah. Through this. yeah and it's a, it's, it's a cute little board book. And I remember when I bought it. And I bought it uh, for my son, um, just age appropriate at that time. And the person selling it to me said, oh, this is great to see a dad buying this for his daughter, mm -hmm. which is great. I did use it for my daughter. And certainly um, young girls need to see role models and success of many women, including women of color. But I thought about how, um, you know, and that was a nice compliment to get. But mm -hmm. I thought about how as a society, we don't necessarily expect boys to be educated about uh, women of color mm. um, and so one of my big big tools is is uh, books and um, audio of uh, people of color men and women um, and um, I'll, I'll leave it at that Yo, <laughs> you hit me with that one that sounded super powerful for me is we don't expect um our boys by our boys did you mean white boys or boys in general mm. did you hear what i just said our boys and yeah. what i was referring to is uh um, i had a mindset right there yeah. where when i said our boys my assumption was white yeah which is what i've done my whole life and i and you and i we train yeah on this do. so I'm, I'm you know very educated how to be aware of this i practice how to be aware of this i teach others and i still have those little and so i don't, I don't know that that's a microaggression because it wasn't directed anyone it's a micro I call it a micro assumption mm, yeah and so what I want my my kids to do both of my kids my girl and my boy as uh, as white people is I want them to move beyond the idea that the good white person is colorblind mm -hmm. that's fine as a baseline it's certainly mm -hmm. better than a lot of situations mm -hmm. that we encounter mm -hmm. but actually what a good person and a good white person would do is to embrace, not just tolerate, right? right. To embrace, to, and that's going to enrich their community and the people they're lifting up. It's also going to enrich them yes. so much, yeah. so much. Everything will be so hard and angsty, you know? And you're going to, if you go through life missing out on friends of color, you're going to go out, go through that missing out on really great friendships you're mm -hmm. going to miss out on really great literature on great art on great scientists on great everything Growth you can't and learning yeah you can't you, to take that narrow view mm -hmm. you know is um is gonna 
look, it's fine to do it because you think it's the right thing to do. In fact, that's probably a healthy mindset. I want to move beyond that. Not only is it mm-hmm. lifting up, and I'm putting quotes around this, the other, right? Mm-hmm. The the people of color, the women, members of LGBTQ+, the marginalized, plus, folks. The marginalized folks. It's also lifting you up. Yeah. And that's what I want them to understand. Really degrades your character when you're, in my opinion, when you are just allowing yourself to discriminate and eliminate. And so what do we do with kids, um, you know, this age? And what do we do? Stephanie, what do you do with kids? How do your kids identify? And what do you do to teach them about about race? Um, we have a lot of open conversations. It started pretty young in my household Um my ex-husband and I have only been separated for two years. So up until that, they had a, a biracial household um, and their dad would have conversations about his experience and about the people that he looked up to, you know, and these influential figures in his life. And it was very different than who I grew up learning about. So having those conversations with them from the time that they were little, pointing out differences and not being afraid to say, you know, this is happening because of the color of that person's skin. Or I remember times with my daughter um, being in interactions where maybe someone's looking me in the eye and not the person of color standing next to me and her realizing there's something weird about this and being able to call that out. Like, I'm trusted right now because I'm the white person in the room. Like, no, you're not just thinking, is this weird? Because when I was growing up, it would have just been like brushed under the rug. We're not going to talk about that. But acknowledging situations where I'm given the benefit of the doubt. I'm treated differently, acknowledging situations where their father is treated in a certain way and why that is and what that looks like. And I think, um, you know, holding our kids to a certain standard of your whiteness gives you access to spaces, gives you access to trust, gives you access to um, different things that other people around you who are people of color might not have access to and that it's not okay to just not have that conversation because it's uncomfortable. It's not okay to not acknowledge that this might be the reason why in this moment I'm being provided this opportunity. Um, But I think the reason that it's not an uncomfortable conversation anymore in our house is because we've had the conversation since they were were so um, little. But was it uncomfortable for me to start having those conversations? Yeah, it was because that was not my experience growing Mm. up. So it took a lot of reprogramming, intentional reprogramming, consciously entering situations and saying, um, you know, what is the reality of this, even if that makes me feel super uncomfortable. But I think it's important now as a parent to um, make sure my kids are aware have conversations that no one had with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think it's really important to acknowledge that I don't always know how to do that mm-hmm. in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I mess it up completely. Um, so it's always trying to elevate that and, and look to other people who are also doing that and say, how can I do this better? Being willing to accept you know, criticism um, from people around me who don't look like me and saying, hey, actually you're not doing that in the mm-hmm. right way. So maybe try it this way. Um, but I'm still learning. Yeah, you know, always, always be learning. Hmm. I think that, um, well, of course, there's a compilation of things that contributes to relationship I have with my child. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had had a, a lot of conversations out of safety, um, pride, mm-hmm. or um, you know, 
I don't like when other people tell our stories or my story. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let you know, kid. I'm a big fan of curiosity. Uh, and curiosity at times was a sign of disrespect growing up. Or that's how I interpreted it. So, like, but why? Or what's that do? <laughs> Meaning when you questioned the yeah. adults in your life, it yeah. was taken as disrespect. Yeah. Or that's how I interpreted it. Um, and so Noah and I have this kind of relationship where he can ask me just about anything. And it's pretty cool because I'm pretty sure he's a philosopher because he's a really insightful human being. And so he'll talk to me about these really key life concepts, major killer, DJ Khaled. And it's really amazing to hear. He really cares about things like, um, respecting people's gender identity and, um, you know, someone's sexual identity is not a qualifier. <clears throat> he is comfortable in his masculinity and his cisgenderness and um, being straight and still, you know, doing things that would be considered outside of that. Um, I also, you know, it wasn't always like this. We still struggle in some conversations. We cannot have the sex talk. I mean, we do, but it is a struggle and I'm trying, <laughs> but I remember before that, even addressing like people being different than us was interesting for me. Well, one time we were in the dollar store and the people that owned it were different than us. And he started doing the robot and making noises that someone would assume that's what the language they spoke sounded like. And I just freaked out and I dropped everything we had and I swatted at him like, go, let's go, let's go. Move, 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 swat team out. Because I was embarrassed, mortified. There was this one time where this individual was picking up children from our home and he was a larger man. And Noah's response at the door was, oh, why is he so big? just loud and I slammed the door and locked it but now I give him a space to have conversation Mm -hmm. instead of shaming him for expressing himself or doing having a oops ouchy moment and so an example I want to provide is something that Stephanie and I have read in Debbie Irving's uh, Waking Up White which is a child is in the grocery store line with their parent and says you know, dad, why is that man's skin so dark? And typical response, that's rude. Don't say that. I'm so, so sorry. Swat your kid away. Instead of taking that moment to say, well, honey, um, I don't know if that man likes you referring to his skin that way, but his skin is a deeper tone because there are parts in the body that make people's skin different. And we can talk more about that at home, but it's a bit more respectful to say it this way. You want to say hi? Hi. And then just not, don't make the thing a, a huge thing. If I can add just sure. a little bit to that, um, my addition to that, because I've had that happen, mm-hmm. is, and I don't, it is, and isn't it beautiful? Yeah. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a white man. Mm-hmm. And I won't say it in a way that judges the person uh, in the sense of, um, you know, especially if it's a female, as, mm-hmm. as a male, I need to be aware of calling a female beautiful, mm-hmm. um, that it might be interpreted as an aggressive move, but just in a very respectful to, to my, mm-hmm. it happened with my son to say, and isn't it beautiful? Yeah. And just leave it at that just to show, um, by example. Yeah. And I think for me, I'd probably add something like, I think it's really cool that we're all so different. Right. Adapt that to however yeah. you. Cause yeah. I feel like I would, uh, now you're trying to, for me, if I heard that, I'm like, uh, 
awkward. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to overmake it. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though that's a wonderful no, that's, response. Yeah, like, I think it's really cool that we're all so different. Even with people that look like me and you, we're all so different. Mm-hmm. So I like I think that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And I think that, you know, I do have a tendency to overcompensate, mm-hmm. uh, over respond. And that's okay. I'm learning yeah. as well. Um, and that's why it's important to have this safe space to talk about right. those conversations. So I appreciate that suggestion. And, Absolutely. you know, I almost mentioned that one of the other tools I use is uh, when we go out to uh, Walgreens to pick up something, when we go to a place to order uh, food, I always have my kids order for themselves mm-hmm. and always have the kids say hi and thank you. Right. Same. And because you will encounter the full range of races mm-hmm. behind the counter mm-hmm. and it'll be white and black and Latino and Asian. And so the kids just get used to talking to people of mm-hmm. all different colors. It's interesting. And I do that because I want my son to have a strong and sure voice. Hmm. I used to work as a cashier and I was tired of children handing me balls of sweaty money and saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And me explaining to them, I could take all your money and give you the wrong change. Mm -hmm. You're not doing the wrong thing by counting out your money and making sure I do the right thing by you. And you want your son to have a strong and sure voice. You mentioned the word curiosity earlier. These are all things that we should be using race relations as a tool to teach our kids these foundational skills. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to have a strong and sure voice. I want them to be curious. How can you have a strong and sure voice? How can you be curious if you only talk to people of the same race? Right. So, right. so again, getting back to my earlier point of, yeah, it's great if you think you're doing it as a white person yeah. doing this because you think it's helping others. That's great. I, that's a great attitude to have. But let's do more. Yeah. let's let's show that this is lifting everyone up. Mm-hmm. And that way, white people could feel like they're vested mm-hmm. in social justice mm-hmm. as opposed to social justice is a thing for white people to bestow upon mm-hmm. people of color. Instead, right. and prescribe. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to teach my kid to have a strong, sure voice. Because we don't do that to them. No, we don't do that to us. To us, to our community. Yeah, right. And, and you speak, you speak up to all people because you're curious and you mm-hmm. want to have a strong, clear voice. So mm-hmm. I really think this, I mean, I just came from a soccer game for my kids this morning. So, uh, sports is a tool to teach kids. Mm-hmm. I think race relations can be a tool to teach kids as well. Absolutely. You're not just learning soccer out on that field. Right. You're learning leadership. Right. You know, you're not learn- just learning about race relations. You're learning about how to speak up and how to be curious. And I think it's um, really important in regarding to self in race relations and interpersonal race relations to ensure that your children are exploring their identities. And if they are white, ensure that they are exploring whiteness because time and time again, I have come across um, people who identify as white, not really understanding whiteness as a culture or as an identity. Like I haven't really thought of that or because that's not really something that's forced upon that that um, identity of people. Um, for talking about race with Noah and his identity, some of the one question that he used to ask me, and he stopped, was, "Am I black enough?" Or when you see me, what do you see? And um, I had the honor of seeing Atala Shabazz at a community college. And I got to meet her and speak with her. And Atala Shabazz is um, 
Malcolm X's oldest daughter. And my question was, with my son being of mixed ethnicities, right? And how do I navigate him having identity issues? Like, what do I do? Because this colorism thing is real in my community. And then the world is, the first thing they see is a black man and then everything else. And they're always trying to figure him out. And, you know, we're not quite there socially with uh, teaching people how to see themselves. And she said, well, what, what is he? And I said, uh, he's mixed, which I despise that term now. And uh, she's like, no, what is he? I said, my son. <laughs> and she's like, no, what is he? I was like, oh, well, on his father's side, uh, he is historically Jewish, German, and Irish. On my side, he's a slew of things that I have not yet identified. Um, but I'm looking forward to um, exploring that. I know I'm of African and European descent. And thanks to my mom's DNA test, I know a little bit more about myself. And she said, you teach him that. That way he knows who he is. And that changed everything. Mm. And so that affected that conversation I had with you about your children are Latino. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something I wanted to add to what we were saying earlier too, and then in addition to that, I think as a parent, the surest way to realize you know nothing about anything is your kids to ask you a question or, you know, to explain something and you're like, it, it just is it because just, it's because, right. Right. Like, or how, where does this come from? Or how did that happen? It's like, I know nothing about anything at all. <laughs> I thought I was a smart person. Um, but I think it's really important you know, as a, a white woman, I think it's important to understand my whiteness and how that shows up in my life so that I can navigate those conversations um, in an informed way, not just with my kids, but with anyone. But I think it's really important to to know yourself and understand yourself and where those discomforts lie and where those different biases are so that you can have a more informed conversation with your kids. I really do think you can do more damage than good if you enter that conversation without a well-formed idea of what it is that you understand about yourself and then how you want to approach that. And I so, want to add learning about yourself happens in conversation with others because mm -hmm. I've been in experiences with you when you were like, did my whiteness do that? Is, is my whiteness affecting this? I'm like, yeah. no, you were doing great. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes, sure. Yeah. Like that was the whitest like, thing was you've the ever done. Avocado toast. Yeah. <laughs> you love to say that. I do love avocado toast. Um, yes. That when you told me about, uh, what she shared with you about your son, that was very helpful mm -hmm. with I, one thing that, you know, I, I, we have not fully processed it or, or figured out how to deal with this as a family, but that is something also that my children are dealing with is they um, are white passing. So the world sees them as white, uh, two white girls and, and a, a white boy. They both, uh, my girls identify as female and, and my son does identify as male. Um, and However, they have this other side to them that the world does not see, but is so important to who they are and, and what they believe in themselves. And that is uh, being Latino. My husband's family, my ex-husband's family is from Mexico. And so a lot of their traditions and culture and, and what shapes who they are is that, but the world doesn't see that. And they have to now as they're getting older, for some reason, I mean, it's happened a lot more in the last couple of years. I think kids are just more aware. They're getting to that age where these conversations are happening, which is great, right? That this generation is having these conversations that I was not having at and 10 being or- raised by us. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're all too woke <laughs> to function at this point as parents. So 
Um, so it's something difficult that, that I don't exactly know how to, to help them figure out how to have those conversations. So that is one area that we're still Mm -hmm. learning, but, but you're right. What you said about they are who they are and they need to embrace all parts of them. Yeah. Was helpful. And I, I'll get to you, Josh, about how you talk about identity with your children, with Noah, me addressing him and his identity. Um, the whole, am I black enough? Or what do you see when you see me? I say, I see Mm -hmm. my, I see my son. And there's a lot of parts to you, man. Mm -hmm. I see this Lego lover. I see you got your dad's eyebrows, but my shape. And you got my and his nose and all these other wonderful aspects about him. But I, I, I let him know, yes, you are a black man. And sure, it, he tells me he identifies as a black man. And he d- identifies much more strongly with his black culture as he's expressed to me. And I don't know if he's just saying that because I'm here or he spends most of his time with me. Mm. Um, but I, I respect that in him. And I also respect that, you know, we talk about, and you are white too, or we talk about the white parts of him, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, how do you approach the conversations of whiteness and other cultural experiences? I actually find this to be very difficult and I'm still working through it yeah. because, and Stephanie, I'd like your input and Jasmine, of course, yours as well, because, you know, Jasmine, you say that, hey, I want to see that white people are uh, aware of their whiteness or become knowledgeable about mm-hmm. their whiteness. That's what I, that's what I heard you saying. And I think a lot of reaction is what does that mean to learn right. about whiteness? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a, a, I think a lot of white people, when they hear that, what white people hear is you need to be aware that there are some things about being white to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And I so to approach whiteness with my kids is really to talk about that our history books are full of a history that is predominantly reported to us right. as white. So yes, this is you are part of that group, but it's not really an identifier, it's not really a unifier, it's not really a prideful thing mm-hmm. as I perceive in our conversations, Jasmine that being black is a point of that you want your son to be proud of. Mm -hmm. I would never say to my kids, I want you proud to be white. Why is that? I think because the norm is white and because whiteness was used to oppress all other, why would you ever say that? And as someone who knows that's wrong and is aware of those things, I wouldn't imagine you'd feel comfortable saying that. Now, on the flip side, because blackness has been historically taught as dark and wrong and bad and other and brownness and less than and any other skin hue, I have to let you know that even though your skin hue is not in the magazine, even though your skin hue gets paid less, even though your skin hue is getting killed out there, at your age, I'm telling you, There is nothing to be ashamed of because your blackness is something to be proud of, right? So I think it's a matter of, yeah, perspective, but uh, experience or really understanding what the, uh, examining what those things mean. Yeah, and I I think, 
I don't want my kids to be ashamed of that either. I want them to be aware right. of how that operates in a society, right. how that affects how people see them, how that impacts their members of their community around them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was important for me when we were on one of our trainings that one of our friends who's black uh, said to me, I like white Josh. And I, that was the first time I had ever heard that. Yeah. And I said, why would, you know, why is that? I mean, thank you for affirming me, but why is that? And she said, and you've told me, Josh, when we're doing our trainings, we're trying to get people to be, to identify and examine and confront bias. Mm -hmm. There are things you can contribute mm -hmm. that are very important uh, that your whiteness helps you contribute. Mm -hmm. Certain audiences will listen to you better. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not seen as much as an us versus them issue. Um, so there's, there's a number of things we talked about. And so if my kids are aware of that, mm -hmm. they don't have to be ashamed yeah. of that. Nobody's here asking to raise white kids to be ashamed of being white. We're asking to raise white kids aware of their whiteness and how that impacts them and the people in their community. And it's helpful for them. Mm -hmm. It's fair. As it's we, we it's keep good going, for them. Yeah, we keep going back to that. This is not a favor, you know, yeah. uh, anti-bias training or the anti-bias mindset is not a favor bestowed by white people yeah. or people mm -hmm. of color. No. It's a lifting everyone up in the community, including the white kids, because mm -hmm. they can learn those, uh, those foundational qualities of leadership, curiosity mm -hmm. that we've been talking about of a strong voice. Stephanie, yeah. what's your experience? Um, I think, you know, what you said about you would never tell your kids to be proud of being white. Same. Right. And I completely understand why that wouldn't be an appropriate thing to do. Um, and I also think it's important to have a conversation of being proud of who you are right. and that it is not helpful. It's not it's not our job, but it's also not even helpful in that conversation to apologize or to right. feel guilty constantly and approaching that work or these conversations from a like, I'm ashamed, I'm guilty. I'm that's also not that's just being so be self-centered right yeah. and then you're still focusing on, on yourself yeah um so i think having the conversation of like develop who you are what are you proud of beyond your skin color like what's mm -hmm. in there what's right. in who you are because you are not this shell that you've shown up in and then once we've developed that okay now this shell that you're in though that really influences the way that you move through life mm -hmm. and the opportunities that are afforded to you. Mm -hmm. Now, does it have to? At this moment, yes, that's how the world is operating. But you also have this power to change that dynamic. Mm -hmm. So understand that this is the body that you live in. This is the skin that you have. You need to fully understand how the world sees you as you show up in spaces. And then now we need to be willing to have conversations um, about that. So I think that's how I handle whiteness because my kids can identify as Latino all day long, every day. That's an important part of who they are. But when they walk out the door, the world sees them as white and they have to understand that that is a real thing. And so like they can say to their cousin, who's also Latino, but is walking around in darker skin, like, but I'm also like you, like, but yes, but you also need to take the time to understand what struggles your cousin has to go through, like what barriers are in their life that are not in yours. Mm -hmm. So you can identify as something and still be seen as something mm -hmm. else. And you need to understand the advantages that come with that. Um, and I'm not pretending like those are easy conversations. Nope. <laughs> They're really hard conversations to have um, with kids. But, but I think something that Jazz and I are constantly talking about too is 
um, finding pride in self, no matter, I mean, you've told me this before too, like you, you need to figure out who you are and be proud of that and, and not feel like just because you're white, you cannot be proud of, Mm -hmm. you know, um, who you are in this world. So yeah, I think also surrounding yourself with people who don't look like you is a really good place to start. Yeah. We're good mirrors. Mm-hmm. People don't that don't look like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important to understand the distinguishing care, like the distinguishing definitions of like whiteness and then mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. because you could be white all day and have all these rich things mm-hmm. about you and your identity. Yeah. So don't be offended when somebody brings up your whiteness, because because of course there's so much more to you than that, right? Right. right. And there is being black or brown or anything being highly melanated is not something that's a burden, something to be tolerated. I am not all struggle and strife. I love this Mm -hmm. blackness and it comes in so many different forms. And I had to, I I had to check people on that growing up. That was a part of my growing up Mm -hmm. journey that I did not share. I was constantly accused of talking white or the type of music I like. Mm. I like music. And a lot of the roots of black culture are in all the genres. Mm. I like what feels and sounds good. So I think it's really important to say, hey, you know, blackness doesn't look one way, neither does whiteness. Mm. But, you know, whiteness, of course, being the overpowering entity. Do you find that in your um, families, both of you, uh, because we had different experiences growing up with race do you find that challenging when you're talking to like your mom your aunts your uncles and stuff constantly having to redirect or say nope that's that's not okay how much of that that conversation yeah yeah how much of that do you feel like you have to do josh in in your family or is that not a part of you mean an example you mean a a race conversation correct like problematic problematic um comments Mm. let's say from from extended family members or Mm. Yeah, yeah, my, I don't have to have that conversation, fortunately, with my core family. Um, I was at a my wife's cousin's house, and this was 15 or 20 years ago, and she just used the N-word. Mm. And there's not a black person in that room. She was referring to someone uh, she didn't like at the school. Mm. Uh, so it was used in, in exactly the hateful way that is mm. so harmful. Um, and I think at the, I mean, now that I'm doing the math, it was longer than 20 years ago because I think it was right around sometime just entering college. And, you know, we talked about Jasmine, you mentioned that, uh, what's your, how are you raised with race? Well, and you also mentioned that that's just not your childhood. It's also your adulthood. I think that my response at that time was that pang of shock that you feel Mm -hmm. and a disapproving mumble. Mm -hmm and a kind of inching away from that person and then going and sitting somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I would handle that so much differently now. And um, because I'm more educated about what it means to be an ally. So Mm -hmm. this is a good example of just because you can't be raised as I don't see color, you can't be raised as I don't participate in those harmful conversations. White people have a duty to be an ally. And... Mm -hmm. I think I knew that at the time, but I didn't have the tools to to right. um, to carry that out at the time. And that's why I love the work we do, Jasmine. Yeah. It's because we're giving, that's what I view our work as, we're giving tools to people, mm-hmm. including myself. I'm constantly <laughs> learning and I uh, love it. 
Yeah. And so, um, and it, and and I, I want to make this point too, as being white, uh, in relation relation to these tough conversations. This is not a evaluation, a test, or a contest to prove you're a good white person. Mm-hmm. This is a, and so it's not that you do something wrong and now you're a bad white person, and you do something right and now you're a good white person. Instead, uh, one of our the videos we use with our training describes it as dental hygiene. And you know, you don't just brush your teeth and have clean teeth and have a clean checkup and you're good. You gotta floss, you gotta brush, you gotta take, you gotta eat right, you gotta take care of yourself. Same thing with being an ally. And so if you've had stumbles or missed opportunities where you were a bystander in the past, just allow that to motivate you to be an ally mm-hmm. in, the, in the future. And that's what I want for my kids is to be, a, is to be an ally yeah. and trying to teach them how to be an ally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to honor the privilege I have in these conversations because I do have exposure to um, certain information and opportunities to where I'm putting this into practice, mm-hmm. but it's 2019. Mm-hmm. So we can we can put ourselves in these situations to have these conversations and to gain perspective and knowledge. And in that same video, um, there was a comment about um, not calling the person a racist, but the act a racist, right? We're talking about the same video? Yeah, it's the, it's the Jay Smooth videos. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and the, it's, I think they're two separate videos by the same person. But, you know, the video you're referring to is saying... Hold them accountable for what, what they, they do. do. You yeah. don't need to go around labeling people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because if you call someone a racist, it becomes this mm-hmm. arms race where they say, look at all the good things I've done. Look yeah. at all these black people, and Latino people them. I know. Yeah. Right. And, and instead to say, using that N-word was a racist mm-hmm. statement. That's much more difficult to wiggle out of. And so his point is, hold them accountable for right. what they mm-hmm. did, not label who they are. Another analogy he used is if someone robs you and takes your wallet, you don't go hunt the person down and say, hey, you're a burglar. You burgled me. No, you want your wallet and you want, you know, justice and ramifications for Mm -hmm. that particular instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of impacted how I talk to my family members or people close to me about aggressions that Mm -hmm. I've had. Or things that I think are important moments to say, okay, this is happening around my child. Mm-hmm. And so the way we discuss this is, and so he's brave enough to say, um, actually, there are men out there who do like to wear dresses and makeup, mm-hmm. and that is okay. It's, nobody's hurting anybody. Yeah. Or, you know, people are different colors. And no, I believe that's Korean, not Japanese. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do it in a, hey, you, you, hey, no no <laughs> right it's it's a conversation and it, it it fosters a respectful dynamic in our family and then he takes that with him yeah um did you have anything to add to that um no i like what both of you said i guess maybe a little something i, I like what you mentioned and i do think uh you know there's been so many conversations that i look back on i'm sure not even just in this context but i'm like oh man i should have said that Mm -hmm. or you know like when you know better you do better so now i want to go back and have every conversation i did 30 years ago um but i do think it is you know as a as a white person i think it's it's white people have to have conversations with other white people it's really important that when something problematic is said that you you know you say that you call out your friends you maybe introduce new ideas um, I do think that's an important part of, of, um, I mean, like doing this work, just like being human in this time and acknowledging that there's things that, um, 
you have to either be the solution, like part of the solution to, right. or you're contributing to the the problem. Right. So Does that make sense? An important point that when I'm amongst white people and there are no people of color there, mm -hmm. that it's so important to stand up. And uh, I find that sometimes, especially with male friends, there's a somewhat toxic or sometimes very toxic environment mm -hmm. related to women. Um, or there will be comments um, about Jewish people or to use that word mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's demeaning. And you have to, in those contexts, stand up and say something because I tend to find that people who will make those comments know to tone it back when people right. of color or, or women are around, mm -hmm. but then to let it fly when people of color and women are not around. Mm -hmm. And you standing up to that, um, that's such an important point that you just made. And it will get easier. It's so awkward the first right. time. Oh, is that awkward? But right. it's certainly better than letting it go because you'll be you'll be looking back on that saying, "I wish I, I said challenged something. that." Mm -hmm. I said something. You know, yeah. for your past occurrences, Stephanie. My recommendation: uh, when you're in the shower, you know. Well, actually, oh, at yeah. the end of the day, what yeah. I said because what I said is what I said. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not gonna lie. I I set up this microphone when I'm here alone, and I'm like. <laughs> Hello, oh, this is Stephanie. And then, yeah, so there's a lot of you know recordings what? of just me. Yeah. I want to talk to you. Know you know what, Grandma? <laughs> what I should have said You know what, 1994, was. Grandma? You know what yeah. I have to say to I you? remember. <laughs> yeah. But a tip I have that I've given in facilitation with Josh um, for folks who want to challenge those moments but really don't want to make it a thing thing, mm -hmm. my jam, my go-to, my track on repeat, and my iPod is, what did you mean by that? Mm. Usually it makes it real awkward and quiet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have to let me know what they meant. Well, you know, I'm asking because I want to want to understand you. What, what did you mean? Mm. Well, you know, they just, they what? I want them sitting in that. Right. Yeah. That's not mine to take. Yeah. And you check that. It's a good tool. Right. And it gives that person a chance to make amends at least a little bit right. as well. Right. Um, in, in the, I mean, and, and keep in mind, some people are making mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. I've made some awful mistakes. I have, um, I'm a fan of like ethereal and spiritual mm -hmm. and fun stuff. And I used to use the G word, which is a derogatory term for Romani people, but I didn't know. Mm. And then I heard my sister saying it when she came from California and I was like, Oh, so you know, mm. you know how we don't like the N-word? That's what that is for Romani. So let's not do that. How do you address um, making mistakes or when children make mistakes or when you exhibit that behavior and then you want to revisit it with them and go over it with them? Um, I, I think that, you know, creating a, a safe space is important. So that starts at home. Um, but one, I call it a brave space. Here at mm -hmm. home so it, it's like we need to speak up all of us have a voice here that's important um, and you are completely 100% responsible for the words that come out of your mouth and it's okay to make a mistake I'm gonna lovingly acknowledge that I'm gonna be empathetic and I'm never gonna make an excuse or make you feel like it was okay yeah. that you said something that was highly problematic to be honest that, that doesn't that hasn't happened um, but yeah, my kids have come home for sure and said repeated, just like little parrots, like things that they've heard. And the way that I 
So my ex-husband is super good at this. He has a rule. He's like, you can say whatever you want to as long as you can fully articulate what that means and why you're saying that and what that means to you. And so there are some times that my kids will say something and he's like, what does that mean though? Like, what are you saying? Who's affected by that? Who came up with that? And why does that fit into what you're trying to communicate and right who now? who you are. Mm-hmm. And is that who you want to present to the world? So I think it's, um, you know, made our kids kind of go through a, like, is it true? Is it um, kind? Is it necessary right now Look to say it? That's the little filter that we've told them since they were little. Um, <laughs> still, sometimes they're just kids and they say something and I'm like, I'm sorry. Like now my daughter's calling everyone bro. Like, um, you know, and it's not that problematic, but also like, I don't want to be called. sorry. No, I was even over here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is that where it came Remember from? Oh, stop. Noah, if you're listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even bro. It's like bra. Bra. Yeah. Right. Was like, like, are you saying bra or yeah. bro? Um, so to have, what was the question? <laughs> Yeah, how do you forgot. encounter those, oh, those mistakes? When they make mistakes. I think it's important to assume positive intent in yeah. most conversations that you're having with your friends, with people you don't know, especially with our kids, mm. because we're also modeling how to have a tough conversation. So if someone in their space says something that offends them, um, you know, how, how should they react to that? Is if you're getting on the defense and you jump down their throat. And I find most of the time when I have that immediate, like very um, aggressive or, or I feel like mortified, it's my own ego. It's right. like, what have I done as a parent that you right. think it's okay to say right. this? So I have to check myself too. Like, am I, am I reacting from a place of ego? Mm-hmm. Am I afraid this is going to reflect poorly on me as a human, as a mom, as mm-hmm. a woman? Um, and then process that before I say, okay, so why did you say that? Where did you hear that? What does that mean? How can we do better? Right. And and, I feel like it makes me make aggression a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's something I despise anyway. So right. why keep that going and perpetuate that? Which is kind of that thing that you were saying earlier when you know, you're in the grocery store and your kid says something, you're like, shut your mouth right now. That's about us. That's Mm -hmm. us right there in that moment thinking, um, I'm going to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And so I think a a lot of that work for me, just as a parent is detaching from that experience of my kids are a completely separate human with a completely separate human experience that we are just kind of living parallel. So I am not, I am responsible for introducing them to and shaping and providing them with opportunities. However, when they say something, I need to also react as an individual completely separate from that moment. And like real life experiences, I mean, consequences go a long way. You say something problematic, someone might say something to you and you need to be able to work through that in that moment too. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought up the individualism part of it because you two have D- different experiences for me because you have multiple individuals that you're interacting with mm-hmm. yeah. and they have multiple identities oh meaning right you just yeah. have one child and, yeah yeah that's a good point you got the one dude you got the two y'all got the, you got the three <laughs> and josh i think that modeling uh admitting when you've made a mistake is important mm-hmm. um and they're then you know my kids being five and seven uh that they have not had a lot of, or I, I can't recall any kind of race-based uh, comments that were, were kind of an oops, 
but I've certainly had comments or acts that are mistakes. And I think modeling that kind of showing them, hey, you know what, daddy made a mistake, I'm sorry, uh, will allow them to have that mindset when they encounter um, something based on race that's mm -hmm. a mistake or an oops or, or uh, something that they wish they can do something about. I try to model, hey, I made a mistake. Here's how yeah. I plan to make it right. Yeah. So um, I would just echo what, what Stephanie had said. Yeah, I think it's important to also ride the wave of the, the discomfort mm -hmm. in making the mistake because it's, as Josh always quotes me, I'm quoting Josh quoting me, <laughs> it's life. <laughs> like that's mm -hmm. a real thing. Yeah. Um, Ride the wave of discomfort. I like that. Yeah. I mean. Well, and again, this, this is pay, paying attention. Cool under pressure is yeah. something that you want to instill mm -hmm. in your kids if you can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this again, going back to we use sports as a way to teach all sorts of life skills that have nothing to do with sports. Yeah. Let's use mm -hmm. race relations just the same as mm -hmm. the same kind of thing where it's a, a tool to teach white kids these great life lessons mm -hmm. and and that way um we can move beyond tolerance and even respect to really embracing mm -hmm. race relations thank you for paralleling those 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 two ideas i am having an issue with noah calling everything racist mm -hmm. and bad mouthing the current commander-in-chief and that's not something i participate in um, because I think it adds to the culture of hate. Do I like the person? No. I have a whole lot of opinions and I'll express them in a way that I think is um, safe for how I interact with my child. And I also don't want to mute his voice. Yeah. But, you know, he's also around another human being who says these really strong opinions about the person in office. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like... Okay, we don't need to combat hate with hate, right? Because this is ineffective. Mm. You know, you, when you have an explosion, do you go make another one to fix it? <laughs> no. We have the tools. We have the skills. We have the mental space to handle this. And we don't have to be uh, hateful when we do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's, we're working on it. But uh, it really makes me question, what am I modeling mm. that my son is bringing up hate so strongly right now? And he's only 12, you know? And so that's something I struggle with. I wonder what, I think school too is an interesting thing right now. I yeah. think the kids, just from the, my interactions with my kids and their friends and their school environments, the conversations that are happening in these spaces are so different than the conversations that I think were happening when we were mm. um, that age. And I think without proper guidance yeah. and without a full understanding of, of race relations or discrimination, oppression and all of that. Um, these kids kind of are all coming together and having really uninformed conversation. Right. And then they're coming home and my kids have done the same. Like I think Gael called someone like said, he's a black man and Belle's like, that's racist. Like that's, no, um, no, no let's rewind we, that. Uh, First of all, I'm going to need you to go look up the definition <laughs> of racism. Yeah. Let's come back to that and see what that really is. But I think a, a lot of times it's, probably why it's even more important that we elevate those conversations right. because our kids are exposed to all these different ideas um, that sometimes are not based in, in fact, right. and they might have to be the one person in that conversation saying, you know, this is, 
actually, this is what's true yeah. or, yeah. you know. I like what you said about having the tools to have that conversation because Jasmine has helped me. I told her that I would talk about people being mean, yeah. mean because I'm trying to use age appropriate words. And Jasmine is saying, these kids are smart and they're having big emotions. Mm. You don't have to use little words. Give them big words to, to, to describe their big emotions. And oh, so like you don't have to say mean. You can say discriminatory. You can, you, why not talk mm. to a seven or eight year old about marginalization? Mm. That's okay. Mr. Rogers did it to me all the time. Right? Yeah. Like <laughs> treat oh, these Rogers. kids like the smart, mm. big feeling humans that they are. And, and give them the tools Mm -hmm. to have these conversations and they'll grow up being fluent in this sort of language. And that was helpful when you told me that Jasmine. And it's help. It's really helpful hearing it back from you because it really empowers me and it makes me feel like, Oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Word. That was deep cuz. Um, you're always deep things. <laughs> things, but I never remember what I say. <laughs> but luckily, like, we always do, and then repeat That's it. Yeah. We're recording remember it. when you changed my life with that one? You're like, nope, nope. not at all. Did that even sure happen? What? Yeah, just like coincidentally, you don't remember that I had to stalk you to become friends, yeah, right? Still... She has a very selective memory, Josh. No, uh-huh. no, I thought she was way too cool to want to be my friend. Totally. I had to stalk her. Like, like in, hey, you want to go have coffee? You want to go have lunch? You want to come to my house? You want to come, I'll, I'm actually in front of your house right now. I don't know if you just want to come out. It speaks to my self-esteem, I think. It really speaks to my self-esteem. Yeah. Like, I can be confident all day, which it really took mm. me a while to own that word mm-hmm. because it meant something else to me. Um, but that really does speak to my self-esteem when I'm, like, totally grateful and honored that people like you want to be around me and be involved with me because like y'all are so y'all don't even know you know yeah i stopped you or when my friends yeah when i have friends and i'm watching them bless up my friend's about to graduate just going to california i'm like i know her oh my god but that also i'm thinking parallels with my 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 Mm self-esteem which i like that a lot of the thing we talked about with discussing race actually has to do with fundamentally how we're raising our children. You yeah. don't just go up to your kid and be like, uh, <laughs> let's talk about race, kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's so all much. these other things, which, you know, <laughs> just like identities intersect, so do the many tasks mm-hmm. of parenting and raising humans. Yeah, I think, I think my two favorite characteristics in people are people who build mm-hmm. others up yeah. And people who are resilient. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have that foundation, when it comes time to talk about race with my white kids, I can meaningfully talk to them about building up people of color and mm-hmm. them, and white people together as a community. I can meaningfully talk about what privilege means and why it takes resilience to get through life if you're on the wrong side of privilege. Mm-hmm. And so the, to what you said, Jasmine, having that foundation is key mm-hmm. to building up to these conversations about race. Mm-hmm. We're, because ultimately we're conditioning, right? No matter what. So let's, let's, let's work with it. Right. Work with that, that phenomenon. And I like that you um, talked about advocacy and doing that work because that actually heads into an analogy that I just heard doing some ADL work. I was doing it at a gay student Alliance event Um and it's where all these high schoolers come. And one of the parents or teachers, I overheard them 
doing an exercise to say something about a birthday party. And I voluntold them to tell us about it. And she said, you know, I'm from a town where um, all white people. And then they met one black person and saw the discrimination. And that was the first time they had ever encountered otherism. Like the first time. I'm like, oh, well, this will not stand. So what do I do? And she was like, you know, advocacy and standing up for other people doing this work. It's kind of like a birthday party, right? You don't come to a birthday party and say, hey, now this. You want to see how you blow candles? This is how you blow candles. Yeah, mm-hmm. look at me. I got you a present. I did this. Now you are celebrated. Now you have what you need, right? Mm-hmm. Say thank you. This is how you do it. No, you show up, you support, you help out with things that are needed. You enjoy the festivities. You hear what's happening. You learn what people need. And mm-hmm. um, you are there to celebrate that person and that individual. Mm-hmm. And I love that analogy. Yeah, I love that too. You know, I'm not, I don't need you to fix me. I need you to help me work on this. Yeah. I think that's a good way to approach parenting too is um, our kids don't need to be fixed or, you know, and it is a learning space. Like I learn so much from my kids all the time. Yeah. Isn't that that feeling? I don't even know how to explain that power that happens when Noah says something. I'm like, what? I'm in this vortex of awesome right now. Yeah. And it's a cool thing to model that, um, you know, you're still reading, you're still seeking opportunities to grow and change and learn. And you don't have this fixed mindset of like, I'm here and we're having this conversation about race or sex or whatever it is like, Hey, we're learning together yeah. right now. Um, and I think it's really important to be able to say, I don't know. I'm yeah. going to find out for you or, Hey, maybe you actually do know more about that 12 year old. You're right. Or I apologize. My right. son despises when I apologize. So if you don't have to apologize to me, it's like, well, you know, I was incorrect. I what I did, I feel like I offended you or it was mm-hmm. hurtful. No, I'm not comfortable not apologizing to you. It's a great thing to model. Yeah. I did have a question for you, not for, 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 for Josh. Okay. Right, because no one can see me pointing yeah, yeah. over here. <laughs> um, aside from just being a parent now, you know, um, in this time, what do you think you're doing really well? It doesn't have to be about talking to your kids about race, but um, what are you really proud of? I'm really proud of giving my best effort and it does have a lot to do about parenting Mm -hmm. because no one's getting it perfect Mm -hmm. and I'm making a lot of mistakes and, but if I give it my absolute best effort, I find that my wife and I look at each other and say, you know, we're both trying as hard as we can to make this household work. Mm. And then there's just a lot of good vibes in the house. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of positivity and a feeling that you can make a big impact and raise good kids. Um, so I'm just really proud of showing up, showing yeah. up, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm also really proud of le- listening to my kids because as a maybe my natural personality and as a lawyer, I'm used to talking <laughs> and telling people how it is. And I think that my, one of the many things my kids have taught me is to listen, mm. listen, let them finish those long sentences. Uh, let them tell you about their day in a meaningful way, not just how a school good, mm. really have them sit down and talk with you. And, you know, again, we're modeling behavior that is important to be a successful and caring human being and also serves us well in talking to my white kids about race, mm-hmm. listening, 
showing up. Yeah, great answer. You want to answer that too? What do you feel like you're doing well right now? You're proud of. Um, I am proud of. So life is it's, it ebbs and flows for me with like drastic changes, right? Mm-hmm. And so right now, I think I've experienced so many different things that resiliency is just a part of who I am, and I admit it now, and I believe it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a fact, right? And so in in that journey, a thought that manifested was that at that moment, and at yeah, at that moment, I don't know who I am. And I disclosed that to you. Mm. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. And this blank and empty feeling happened. And, you know, I've not known who I was before, but not in any way scared. Because mm. I know I'm figuring it out. Like, each day I'm like, oh, and this is in the pot of jazz. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Stephanie? What are you doing well right now? Hmm. Oh, and that impacts my parenting, and I'm starting to think about that. Good for you. Uh, Parenting-wise, I think um, I I think I'm I'm really proud of how loved and um, seen my kids feel. Like I really feel that in our household, and that's always been my my big thing is um, maybe not always experiencing that myself too, is that there will never be a day that my kids go to bed and don't feel like the sun rises and sets on them. (laughs) And I really know that they feel that. So I feel like um, they feel loved. They feel seen. They feel validated every day. And some days that's really, really hard for me to do. So I feel really proud that no matter what's going on, all the jobs um, and the school and everything that I have going on, I still am able to to make the time to make sure that they know that they are, are cared about and, um, yeah, taking care of. So. That kind of um, reminds me of why I think it's so important to encourage your children to, be- to believe that um, they have a safe and courageous space mm. with parents or raisers or guardians mm-hmm. to for us to experiment on them and for us to talk <laughs> about race. It's okay yeah. for them to experiment on us. Noah disclosed to me yesterday. It was so interesting. He disclosed that he didn't really feel comfortable sharing that he liked a certain thing, that he loves a certain thing. He's obsessed with it. Mm. And I asked him, well, do you think maybe because it's embarrassing? And he said, yeah. I was like, oh, I love like so many things that people say I should not love at my 30-something years. <laughs> and he said, you know, but you know, because I can talk to you about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's, it's okay. So I felt like he was telling me he felt safe yeah. to be able to navigate things with me. That says a lot. Yeah. I felt really mm-hmm. good about that. Yeah, you should. That's a great validating. Mm-hmm. Especially for, from a tween. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To his mom. Yeah. Yep. To his That's mom. That's a big deal. Yeah. Great. So we're all nailing this parenting thing. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Right. Just we're do what we do. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. We'll be writing a book soon. Except the other 23 hours out of the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do have a couple of questions. So um, first I want to ask, what do we think that are like the, the top three or top two or one top thing that you think is important to constantly bring up or that you want to discuss with your children currently when it, in regards to race? Oh, oh, oh. 
Can you start for us? No. Um, <laughs> I think that um, that he is whole, hmm. and really exploring the cultures, right? Because I say white, but I'm not white. I mean, yeah, I have white DNA, you mm-hmm. know, but or whatever European DNA. But I don't know anything about it. So exploring that with him, like, mm-hmm. what did it mean? What's the history of Germany, and what does that mean? And, you know, I am not comfortable that my son brings up Nazis. Mm. Like, no, no, son. Okay, we've got some work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other beautiful aspects of other cultures. Um, I also think it's important to to give him tools, because uh, we despise bullying. We despise it, and so I want to give him safe ways to interact with it, not say do we have a problem want to step outside because no no that means fight that doesn't mean let's step outside to have a calm conversation no let's let's figure this out how do we be an ally in a situation with other people because we are two allies even if we're people of color okay um <laughs> what do i want to talk i think right now just what's ever present in our house is is navigating that conversation about figuring out who you are, loving yourself, appreciating where you come from and everything that makes up who you are. Um, and also understanding that you're, you're walking through life white and what that really means. Um, and then I guess too, just like I have been having kind of an identity crisis the last couple of years, like who, who am I, where do I come from? What does that really mean and stuff? And how do I feel proud of that? Um, yeah. What is, what is being white mean to me too? Like beyond the privilege that that carries and beyond, um, the mandatory like allyship and all of that and doing and that big group. Right. But then also what does that mean for me you personally? And I think being a parent has made me examine that in a different way mm. because I want to, to show them who they are and help them gain a better appreciation of that. So, so I guess, I mean, like, yeah, and socially all these things that we're dealing with and mm-hmm. the work that, that I do and stuff, but just on a small level, that's what's happening in my house yeah. right now. Yeah. For me, it's, it's started to implement, start to teach these tools, tools that I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, thanks to people like the two of you still learning. Um, it's important to me raising white kids that they're aware and that they understand everybody has a struggle, including my white kids will have hardships. Uh, but they really need to be aware that there are hardships and um, and privileges um, that in which race plays a role. So mm-hmm. that awareness is important so that my kids don't go through life saying, oh, yeah, I had a pretty colorblind childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to, again, go beyond that basic tolerance to really embracing everyone in their mm-hmm. lives. Um, and then the last thing, just as a very practical matter, is I'm just making an effort to teach my kids about people of color and women and LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. and disabled people. And I want to teach my kids, um, of course, just for exposure and knowledge that these, these, these different types of people than them are out there and part of our community. But also, you know, if Maya Angelou says uh, something brilliant, you know, and, and says, you know, when you know better, do better. I mm-hmm. found that to also be a liberating uh, mm-hmm. phrase. That's not brilliant for a black woman. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I want to teach my kids that this is not a black history month. Right. This is a community. This is us. Yeah. And I'm not trying to appropriate black culture by teaching my kids this. I'm trying to show that intelligence comes in all colors. Right. And that 
wisdom and kindness and brave, uh, courage comes in comes in all colors. So that's an important part of raising my white kids. Yeah. Reminds me of the, the remarks made about the great composer Quincy Jones. Um, a question during like the Soul Bossa Nova days, so the 60s and 70s, was can he even read music? He could write it like someone's writing quickly. Yes, he can mm-hmm. read music. And it was assumption because of his blackness. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and my next question was, did we have any questions for one another? And I want to actually pick a piggyback off of what you said, Joss, in regards to hardship and relations to uh, privilege. And there's this lovely bucket analogy you tell me. And you told me in the car for facilitation, right? But then we got in the class, you said it, and I got teary-eyed. So I want you to talk about, and I used it with my son, I explained the bucket analogy. Can you explain that? Yeah, so this came home from my second grader this year, just a few weeks ago when school started. So talk about learning from your kids. And he said, Dad, did you know that we all have a bucket and that um, we need we need water to survive? We need to fill up our bucket. And throughout the day, people are either doing things to help us fill up our bucket when they're nice to us, or when they're mean to us, they're doing things to take water out of our bucket and emptying our bucket. The way that this, uh, and then he told me that, and I thought that, that was great. And uh, a couple of weeks later, he came home and he said, so-and-so was mean to me at school. And he said, oh, buddy, how did that make you feel? You know, not good, you know. Okay, well, where was it? What happened? He told me. I said, well, why do you think he did that? And he was quiet and he said, I think everyone just keeps taking water out of his bucket. <laughs> and he really was able to understand that the way we treat each other Mm -hmm. is um, directly impacting not just that person and making that person feel away, but it's also impacting him and it's impacting his community, which in this instance was his classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I think that we've, uh, I think that we've created a household where he can be hurt and still and process that hurt. I'm not asking him to ignore it. In fact, I'm proud of him for expressing that, but that he can also try to look at the underlying reason for mm-hmm. that hurt. Mm-hmm. Again, transferable life skill, valuable in everyday life, valuable in business, valuable in art, valuable in analyzing race relations. And there's a very, that goes to reflect the very important and powerful aspects of having safe relationships and important relationships with people not like you. That analogy has deeply impacted how I see the conversation of privilege Mm -hmm. and race Mm -hmm. and how to uh, relate that to just about anybody. And then I see it shifting how you see race and privilege. And we had a conversation just before recording that was like, oh yeah, whoa, (laughs) right? Anybody else? Or did you have anything else to add to that? No, you know, you mean, well, yes, you mentioned uh, privilege. And um, is it okay to get to that at this point? Sure. Um, So as a white person, one of the things I can do is explain privilege in a way that doesn't feel like I'm forcing it on white people. This way that I find, in my experience, a lot of white people feel when a person of color talks privilege. Mm -hmm. In other words, the message is different because of who it's coming from. Mm -hmm. And the explanation about privilege that I've found meaningful is to say that uh, a lot of times the pushback I get on 
the privileged conversation with other white people is you think my life's not hard. Don't mm-hmm. tell me my life's not hard. Mm-hmm. And my, I actually like it now when I hear that as a response, because yeah. it gives me the exact opportunity to say this. I believe you have hardships. I want to hear about those. Everyone is fighting a struggle. And just because you're white doesn't mean that you have no struggle. I believe you have struggle. I believe you have hardships. Privilege is something different than hardships. Privilege is where our institutions and systems consistently, time after time, mistreat or push down the other people of color, women, LGBTQ+, disability. And that is what privilege is. And that does not invalidate that you have hardships. Mm -hmm. But they are two different things, privilege and hardships. Mm -hmm. They both can take water out of your bucket. Yeah. But as a, I am a straight, white, male, uh, educated, I don't have a disability, I fall into almost every privilege category you can find. I still have hardships. Yeah. I had cancer three months after my son was born. My wife at age 38, even though she's athletic, had a heart attack, mm-hmm. right? Um, I uh, grew up where I felt safe, but I also grew up where one summer there were four drive-bys on our street. Um, and um, so... Yes, I have hardships, and I'm white, but I, I've also had privilege where I can walk into any institution or business and expect to do to have to be served. I can encounter police and expect that I'll be encountered by someone of my race. I can have role models who are people of my race. I can have my boss be of my race and my gender, and so these are privileges. Mm-hmm. They did not erase my cancer or my wife's heart attack. So I still have hardships. They are two different things. Mm-hmm. They both are taking things, water out of our bu- out mm-hmm. of our buckets. Privilege is not taking water out of my bucket. Mm-hmm. It is. I might have gave you another bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It fills it up. Um, and I think you are so masterful at that conversation. I love witnessing it every time and then hitting them with the one, two. I think it's wonderful that, um, I don't know if it's the appropriate verbiage, but you tend to disarm the defensiveness Mm. of that conversation. And so once they've been validated and then you just bring up someone else's struggle, how could they not empathize? Someone just validated my struggle in front of everyone. I can't do it right here in this space in my head. So I like watching you do that. I appreciate that. Again, I really do think that we're all in this fight together and that for white people to talk race relations is is great. We want to lift people of color up. It's also going to end up lifting white people up as one community with our brothers and sisters of color. And just as an example, you're saying, hey, if I'm validating this white person's hardship and the very next step, I'm asking this white person to validate a person of color's hardship. If that white person is not willing to do that, that leaves a real sense of, at a minimum, yeah. irony, yeah. you know, and probably something more mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the validation is important um, to, to white people to say, we privilege does not mean you have no hardships. We want to acknowledge your but hardships. But you asked for the privilege. Right. And, and let me say, let me stop and listen a little bit, because as a white male, and we'll just, and there's obviously other parts to my identity, but that's a different experience, Stephanie, than, than you're having um, as a female. Um, and so 
you know, white privilege looks different to a white male than a white female. Mm-hmm. Um, how have, have you had conversations about privilege and white privilege? Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I, the first time that I heard that I had privilege, I was one of those people that was like, let me tell you what, I mean, let me tell you about where I came from and what I've been through. And it did take, you know, and it's not that I, I don't necessarily feel like we need to like put on these, you know, like delicate gloves and talk to each other and like, let me make sure that you feel like calm and safe and sane. I do think that's an important way to approach any conversation, empathize, be kind, just be a good sure. human. Um, so I love the way that you put that, but it did take someone, another white person saying, Hey, like chill the F out. Let me explain this to you in a different way. So someone actually taking the time to break that down for me in a one-on-one situation where I didn't feel like I was on the defense and where it was like the spotlight was on me. Um, and it completely reframed the way that I thought about it because like you said, it's like, Oh, right. Yes. I've had a lot of hardship in my life and I have a lot of privilege too. So, um, I think that's a really good way to, to have that conversation with other white people, to, mm-hmm. to disarm people, to say, Hey, I get it. I see you. I see where you've been. I see what you've been through. And, mm-hmm. and also you still have privilege. And those are two very separate things. I personally take time to reflect on my privilege a lot. Um, yes, I'm a woman of color, natural hair. Like there's all these things that society or systems can use to other me. But if a trans black woman was to have an experience in my life experience, it's going to be different. Um, um, ability wise, it's going to be different. And I know I take it as a physical assault to me now, especially after a conversation we've had mm-hmm. for somebody to attack your whiteness or to hear your whiteness over your voice mm-hmm. because, but I have the privilege of knowing you and understanding you mm-hmm. and knowing that you're sometimes I, at points I thought overcompensating for your skin color. Mm-hmm. And I just said, don't do that to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know who you are and I know who you are mm-hmm. and what you did wasn't white, you know? So I think that's been, important part of my experience with privilege is um being a good mirror trying to anyway be a mirror for you you have been thanks well josh has to get to a soccer game right you're <laughs> That's right it is yeah. like two minutes till you gotta yeah so, and so as you're leaving that. i have a weird question no one knows what it is and the question <laughs> i don't is, even know i'm really excited for this okay I think because you took your, your kid's first concert was Queen, I'll ask this question. <laughs> if you could go on tour with anyone, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a good question. On tour with the band? Mm-hmm. It, I don't know. It could be a stand-up. I don't care. <laughs> it could be Obama. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. President Obama. That's right. Well, actually, that'd be a, a, a great uh, selection. Um Oh, man. I don't know. Look, uh, I really like the the Steve Martin Mar- Marty Short um, mm-hmm. combo. They're oh. just they're so quick and witty. Yeah, oh, um, they're so quick and witty. Um, really love that, and I'd love to be a part of a show uh, and see how they take that every night and, and mm-hmm. present that material yeah. every night. That's yeah. quite a duo. Yeah. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to go on tour with? Oh, you! I like I like what you did there. You see that? That was a smooth transition. Um, I feel like, um, shoot, 
it's always going to be hard if you're the question asker. Because <laughs> um, you don't prepare your answer. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, ha-ha. Ha-ha. Um, <laughs> Will Smith seems like he's having a good time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Just in yeah, life in general I right now. I love him. So, yeah. yeah, it would be him or... I feel like people are obsessed with Brene Brown for a good reason. And mm-hmm. I have no, I don't know anything about I know, I remember her, you so texting me recently. I want to expose myself to that. Yeah. Uh, well, a band that nobody knows or likes, Our Lady Peace. I've been their biggest, maybe only fan for 27 years. I know years. they are because yeah. of that conversation you have yep. with me that is They're a Canadian band. Me. Yeah. I've, I've tried to make it a point to go to any show that's actually in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of... 400 Instagram followers it, that they have. It. Do I send them direct messages often? Yeah, I do. Just to let them know I'm still here. Yeah, that our lady <laughs> yep. So I really am grateful for this conversation with you. I don't, it's always amazing. It's like, can I get any closer to Stephanie? Oh, I think I just did it. I'm glad. I feel like I've gotten closer to you, Josh, too, as well. So I really appreciate that. I learned a lot. We'll have to parent around each other at some point. <laughs> All right. All right. So with that being said, please at us. Um, at on Instagram with at the other side podcasters. Um, our Gmail email address is the other side podcasters at gmail.com. Y'all, we are on Apple now. Yay, finally. Yes. I screamed at a temper <laughs> that cannot be, you know, re reanimated, recomputed. So we, we're everywhere. Pocket Cast, yeah. Google. Yeah, there's no Play. excuse not to listen. Yeah, you better be listening. And go rate <laughs> us. Give us those stars. Um, not for my ego, but it just helps us spread the message and it really validates what we're doing so that other people can gain exposure to these lessons. It's really fun conversations. And if you have questions, you know, holler at us. Thanks, Josh. Thank Thanks, you. Steph. Thanks Everybody. Thank you, Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye.